Welcome to Belmont Journal. This is a special edition and we're focusing on possible uses of the former incinerator site here in the town of Belmont. And today we're going to be talking about solar energy and energy storage. And to talk about solar energy, we have a special guest, Pat Fennessy, who's the Director of Asset Management at Kearsarge Energy. Great to be here, thanks. Thanks for coming. Um, I understand that Kearsarge works with the town of Concord uh, on a solar farm, or there's a solar farm that you've installed in Concord, is that correct? That's correct. So one, one site in 2014 and then another in 2016. Okay. Um, in general, uh, for, the, for the audience out there, how does a solar farm work anyway? Well, we um, basically to build solar, you need a reasonably flat surface. We, okay. we can build on curved surfaces. So typically, if we're building for a landfill, we'd pr probably be, for the most part, right on top of the landfill. Okay. Um, so once you've kind of designed the site and decided how big it has to be and formed the financial partnerships to actually put the financing together for the site, you'd then contract for the construction. Okay. Um, the construction typically consists of um, putting down what's called racking. Mm -hmm. Racking actually supports those solar panels. Okay. You would then place the panels and then they would wire the panels together to other pieces of equipment like inverters, transformers, mm -hmm. and some of that. When that's all done, you connect it all up to the public utility typically. Okay. So that the energy can pump, get pumped out to the energy grid. Basically delivering electricity back to the utilities, is that right? Correct. Okay. And uh, just for my own curiosity, you can have really large solar farms, you can have really small, and is there a certain size you need to make it uh, efficient? It, it really depends on, on what the use is. I mean, as I'm sure you're aware, you can do rooftop solar on your, oh, right. on your okay. home, and it's, it's terrific for a single consumer. Um, we do mostly commercial grade and utility grade, so typically our sites are over one megawatt. Um, how does solar energy perform compared to other forms of energy? Solar is um, really a, a wonderful neighbor to have. It's very non-disruptive. It's not as efficient as something like coal or gas, but again, it's completely renewable. And um, most people are willing to trade off that, that slight loss of efficiency mm -hmm. in order to get something that's completely renewable and not disruptive. And that's uh, seemingly, well, it is more important as, as time goes by to have more sustainable or renewable sources of energy, is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Um, what's the um, production of electricity throughout the year? Does it go up and down? Solar? Yes, it does. I think we have a, a chart on that. Mm -hmm. um, typically, solar production is very low when the days are short. So in the winter, starting in November, December, January, our production is really, really at its lowest ebb. Uh, the second thing that tends to, to depress production in the winter is the presence of snow. Okay. <laughs> so snow is um, wonderful in the sense that it scours the panel and really cleans them very mm -hmm. well, but we can't produce energy when, when there's snow on the panels. So um, the ener energy production over the year rises very rapidly beginning in March okay. and really peaks in uh, June, July, and August. And all of this, of course, is weather dependent. If you have a, a run of Thunderstorms, for example, in the middle of the summer, that can make a big 
difference in how much production you get. So if there was a lot of snow one winter, would the uh, entity, the, the, ten, the municipality or the power company be out to sort of clean? Can you clean the uh, snow off of the solar collectors? Is that really not? We've had very mixed results with okay. that. Okay. Um, we have attempted it when we know we're going to have a really run, of, a right. great run of weather right after the snow event. Okay. Um, for the most part, the snow melts off the panels pretty rapidly. Oh, okay. Depending right. on how much they're tilted and, you know, what kind of snow it is. Okay. Ice tends to be a little bit more difficult. So it's not that... Yeah, yeah okay. it, it lasts sometimes a day or two, but typically it's off pretty rapidly. And what are the revenues that can be expected from a solar farm? How does it, like say, the town of Concord benefit? Um, the finances can be a little bit uh, complicated. Okay. We um, work with an organization in Rhode Island that's a consor consortium between a, a university and a, and a town. Okay. And uh, the savings can be as high as almost a million dollars a year. Wow. Um, again, that's, that's highly dependent on how big the site is and what kind of arrangements for financing the site have been negotiated, but they can be quite significant for a town. Okay. And uh, actually, Kearsarge has a number of these sorts of projects, is that right? Yes, we've got um, upwards of 35 and another 15 in development right now. Would that be just in Massachusetts or beyond? We have sites, um, we actually have a couple of sites in Hawaii, but oh. um, for the most part, we're focused on um, the Northeast. So we okay. have some sites in New York, some sites in Rhode Island, and then uh, many sites in Massachusetts. Would you say that this is, uh, maybe a dumb question, but do you see more and more and more of this sort of uh, thing happening with towns or with, with this, uh, government agencies, that sort of thing, partnerships? Yeah, very, very much so. Um, okay. uh, what excites us the most is the ability to take an underutilized resource, like a landfill, for example, and be able to say to a town, not only will you get um, uh, energy savings from the net metering credits th that the site will generate, but you'll also get lease revenue. There's a possibility of getting tax revenue. So you can take a piece of, of property that's basically producing nothing and turn it into an asset for a municipality, which is hugely exciting. Um, and I'm just curious, it's sort of a little bit off the script here, but how is it to make that argument to say, to use an uh, underutilized piece of land to, for renewable energy, there's a long-term benefit compared to the, a town that might be considering, well, if we sell that property to a developer or something, you know, the, the profit. So how do you, how do you make that argument? Um, that, yeah, how, how easy it is to make that argument? I, I think it's really a case-by-case. Case. And okay. in some situations, um, I'm not sure it's always possible to sell the property okay. to a developer because some of these landfills really um, must kind of stay the way they are. I see. So that really is, may not be as big a factor exactly. as people might think. Right. Okay. And one of those sites that um, we've done for Concord is actually a Superfund site. So the options for doing things with that land are really very severely limited. I know there's some <clears throat> situations where a town has to say how much, you know, what's the short-term benefit, what's the long-term benefit, and they have to make those decisions both from a policy perspective from a political perspective too is of course. how that gets portrayed. But um, what do you do, what can you do to manage or to prevent any compromise of the capping of the landfill site? I think, I think we may have a slide that shows okay. kind of a cross-section. Um, what uh, 
the way landfill caps typically work, um, there are several layers. The top layer is usually 18 to 2 feet of soil, and underneath that is a membrane. So okay. when we build these sites, we build them in a very specific way, rather than putting posts down for those solar panels, for that racking that we talked about before, that would be drilled into the ground. Mm -hmm. What we use are big concrete ballasts oh, okay. that, that actually support both the fencing around the site and the solar panels themselves. Ah. So the combined weights are also exactly. keeps it in place. And then we, we have kind of a rigorous inspection process for that. Um, when you're dealing with landfills, we want to make sure there's mm -hmm. not um, uneven settlement. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that the landfill itself is not disrupted. So we have to be very careful when we're working with landfills. In, in Concord, the solar farm is not necessarily next to or close to a residential neighborhood, is that right? That's correct. Uh, it's going to be closer to a residential neighborhood if it was built in Belmont. Mm -hmm. Any issues around that that people should be concerned about or just be aware of, let's put it that way? Um, I, I think solar is a great neighbor. I think, as I said to you earlier, it's um, like having a cemetery in your backyard without the mourners I see. Okay. or the ghosts. Um, <laughs> right. It's very, very, very quiet. They make no noise. Um, mm -hmm. They remain habitat for animals, and that's something we're very concerned oh. about. Most of the time we have a six-inch gap at the bottom of the fence so that animals that are there before can continue to use the okay. land. Um, and, and so I think it's one of the more benign uses of land in terms of how it affects the, the local community. Okay, well that's that's good to hear. Um, it, and the proposed site in Belmont again is also close to conservation land. Mm -hmm. Any issues around that? That um, any adverse effect or? We work really closely with the conservation commissions mm -hmm. typically, and they may have special requirements. So, for example, um, sometimes we'll be asked to use a particular seed mix because the conservation commission wants the area plant planted with a particular type of plant. Okay. Um, we are always watching for the development of invasive mm -hmm. species and that sort of thing because that has to be controlled early on so that things, so that they don't get out of control. Um, and then we, again, keep those communications lines open with the Conservation Commission to make sure we understand what they're seeing and what we need to do to keep the, the site in good shape. And in this case, do you, are you aware of, and I realize we're not we're very early in the looking at this process, but do you have to submit plans or um, idea, uh, uh, yeah, plans to the Conservation Commission to the state? Yes. That all has to be approved by the state anyway? Absolutely. Okay. Right. And it has typically we get um, special con conditions from conservation committees okay. and commissions. They'll tell us exactly what they want us to do. Okay. Um, the, the kind of great thing about solar to me is if there are great leaps in, say, handling a landfill, mm -hmm. well, you're not committed forever to the solar facility okay. right. and, and will give you back the land in great condition. So it's, it, it's not an option that really closes off other options okay. down the you line. You can take every, you can actually Yeah, take it most out, of right. the time we, okay. um, uh, the towns require us to provide a decommissioning plan. Okay so that everyone understands uh, how we'll actually deal with removing the site. That makes sense. And it's uh, not difficult. It's, it's racking, it's panels. Right. It's pretty so, simple. Uh, and, I, and I know that a lot of the innovation and research also in the 
energy storage sector of development of batteries and it's a lot that's really the other end of that right which we're going to be talking about later one other question that people probably have is glare from solar panels mm -hmm. when you're driving past it any issues there um, we don't think so the FAA issued an extensive report since there are many solar farms near airports and their uh, glare could be a major concern because mm -hmm. you certainly wouldn't want landing aircraft uh, right, yeah. to, to be in a situation where, where there was lots of glare. So the FAA has said that um, solar is um, a little bit less reflective than mm -hmm. water and less reflective than vegetation. So for the most part, there's not a concern. Solar panels are designed to absorb light, not to not reflect re yeah. it. Okay. So typically not a huge issue. Great. Well, I've learned a lot about uh, solar farms, and I hope you all uh, in our audience have as well. It's a very helpful conversation for the residents of Belmont to know what choices they have in the former incinerator site. Thank you for being Great. here today. Thank you. Now we're going to take a look at a video that helps explain energy storage. Stay tuned. Utilities like Sterling Municipal Light Department purchase electric services like capacity and transmission from ISO New England and their regional network service provider. Prices can fluctuate greatly depending on supply and demand in the regional market. When electricity demand is at its peak, prices for electricity and electric services are highest. By installing a battery system, a municipal utility like Sterling can start to control how and when it buys electric services from the ISO. This is important because reducing purchases during times of regional peak demand will save money for the utility and its ratepayers. Sterling uses its battery system to store low-cost electricity by charging the batteries with local solar power during the day or by purchasing cheap power from the grid during low demand times, such as during the night. Then, at times of regional peak demand, Sterling releases or discharges stored electricity from the batteries, so it doesn't have to buy as much electricity when grid power is most expensive. This reduces the cost of electricity for the ratepayers, and it also reduces Sterling's transmission and capacity payments to the grid operator. These payments are calculated based on the amount of power that Sterling purchases during peak pricing periods for each month and each year. Reducing purchases of electricity during peak pricing saves hundreds of thousands of dollars per year for Sterling's ratepayers. The Sterling Battery Storage System is designed to power the town's police station and dispatch center for about two weeks in the event of a grid outage or disaster. With the local solar array, the batteries can power the town's police station even longer by recharging the batteries with solar, meaning Sterling's first responders will be able to help people in need if a natural disaster knocks out the grid. Sterling is the first town to install a grid-scale battery system in Massachusetts, but it won't be the last. Already other municipalities are planning similar projects. Energy storage is economical, fast to install, and it works. I'm here now with Chris Roy, the general manager of Belmont Light. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. 
I guess we're here today to discuss what could happen on the former incinerator site relative to Belmont Light. Do you want to tell me a little bit about what the idea here is relative to the solar farm? Sure. Uh, so we've talked about uh, a number of options. And, and so from a Belmont Light perspective, uh, we've been focusing on the solar plus storage um, route mm -hmm. that really uh, uh, combines uh, the, the renewable energy you can get from solar with the storage capabilities of a, of a container-sized battery platform. Okay. And certainly there's a lot more interest these days in finding renewable energy sources. Is that correct? Absolutely. That's one of our big initiatives, uh, starting with the Climate Action Plan that was implemented by a town meeting mm -hmm. several years ago. Um, we've been uh, gradually transitioning Belmont Light's power supply to more renewable sources. Oh, okay. And, uh, and obviously uh, a solar array would play a big part in that. So in terms of the current state of the former incinerator site and this project, right now it, it is unlikely, but it's, it's possible still, right? Sure. That a solar farm could be put there. Absolutely. So generally speaking, uh, solar is certainly a viable option. And you've done the studies there, you figured out... Okay. Exactly. So, the studies are done. You know, the models have been uh, completed. Uh, so we certainly know it's viable. And, and what you were telling me before was that, in a way, it, it doesn't really matter what happens there. A solar farm could still, you could still use that site to do solar. Is that correct? Exactly. And that's the great thing about solar, too, is it's adaptable. Okay. So you could put another building there, a different use, and you could put, as you see around town, you can put solar on a roof. Mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, on the ground in some open space. Um, so, so it doesn't have to be in all, I see. all okay. in in one or the other bucket. You could have two different uses when one of the uses is solar. And what can we say about what you would be doing there if you, if you put a solar farm there? Talk a little bit about the solar and the storage use. Sure. So those two technologies complement each other. So the, uh, as folks... Uh, generally are aware solar uh, generates the renewable energy during daytime. Okay. And, uh, and, but when night comes, then, you know, we, we need, we're looking for a mechanism to continue that renewable energy into the evening mm -hmm. hours. Uh, so that's where uh, storage comes into play, ah, okay. where you can start to use that energy at different times of the day. Uh, and along with that uh, comes other more complicated mechanisms for mm -hmm. Energy um, being, we can shift use to help uh, reduce our costs during peak load times when mm -hmm. electricity is the most expensive, and uh, and so the battery through storage allows us to harness the renewable uh, energy and then use it when it's best for us and most favorable for us. How does the how would the typical Belmont resident benefit from that? Would they see a decrease in their energy costs or efficiency or? The, those two, since it's an energy project, it's all primarily uh, uh, electricity bills would mm -hmm. see the, the benefits. Okay. Um, and so generally speaking, in rare cases you get bill, bill reductions, right, uh, but right. primarily speaking it offsets other increases. I see. And okay. so as energy and transmission prices rise, 
as we use our resources more um, efficiently, mm -hmm. we can offset those increases with our, okay. our benefits. So the delivery system, you know, there are certain fixed costs re related to that, but over time you're saying that really is going to keep price increases down and costs down. Exactly. Because you're able to save that energy and it's renewable. And it's renewable and, right. and a big part is being able to also incorporate more renewables in the portfolio. We don't want to get too complicated because there's still a lot of discussion to be had sure. and decisions to be made. But if Belmont was able to do a public-private partnership mm -hmm. there, we know it would require an amendment in the Massachusetts legislature. Correct. But what would that look like in terms of how much energy would be delivered from that site? Ah, so that's a great question. We would expect if it was a full solar deployment, that's roughly about a two megawatt array. Okay. Um, and with a two megawatt array, generally speaking, maybe one to two percent okay. of our overall needs could okay. be met with that solar facility. And with the development of technology, do you foresee that that one site is able to generate more electricity over over time, you know, with the advancements in solar or batteries and uh, that sort of thing? That's actually somewhat the opposite. Oh, okay. Whereas, <laughs> whereas the panels age, they become right. less productive. I see. Uh, but as you replace the panels, every time a new panel comes out, right. it's more efficient. It harvests more of the sun's right. energy. I think um, that's what I was getting at. Yes. As you see the technology change, so you can. we keep seeing that batteries, batteries get better and better over time uh, as well. True. But typical installations we find are 20 to 30 years. Okay. All right. Um, so unless there's a major malfunction, mm -hmm. um, the hope is to install it and okay. let it run let, its let it, useful okay. life. The other option that you've discussed is if there wasn't a public-private partnership, it would be an investment by the town to yes. put in a solar farm. And that's, of course, a, another discussion to be had. But Exactly. That is a possibility. So that, that is certainly a possibility. Uh, the Obviously, the challenge there is if we have to build it ourselves, then mm -hmm. we have to come up with the capital to, right. to buy the whole thing outright. Right. And then it's also our responsibility to operate, maintain, and then decommission okay. um, later the, after the 20, 30 years is complete. But we see this kind of public-private partnership with solar energy all over Massachusetts, right? There are a lot of projects, That's, a lot of communities that have done that? I would have to say primarily, uh, with maybe a few exceptions, that's primarily the mechanism because of this, the uh, contractual arrangements that you mm -hmm. can get with these energy contracts. Um, it maintains uh, the ability for municipalities to use their capital reserves right. for things that don't have those types right. of arrangements like truck purchases or building upgrades and things like that. How do you combine these different sources of electricity? I mean, are there other sources that you're that we're using here in Belmont? Sure. So basically, given uh, the, you know, the footprint of Belmont uh, and, the, and the limited open space that we have, we have to rely on the combination of an in-town array, should that be the end result here, uh, coupled with uh, m the larger percentage of resources we procure from out of town. So in that portfolio from out of town is hydroelectric, wind, oh. some solar, uh, and then a general bucket we refer to as grid power, which is primarily gas. Okay. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is transition uh, 
though, like the grid power, those sources away from uh, the fossil fuels okay. and move them towards these concrete renewable contracts. Okay. Um, so this, how does that fit into the, that, that's the general plan for the future for Belmont Light, and this it, is it, part of that plan. It, exactly, that's part of the plan, and currently um, we're looking at uh, large, trying to get large chunks of our portfolio more and more renewable each year. Uh, we have a power supply policy that dictates uh, what percentage of our portfolio should be renewable, so we have metrics and targets that we need to hit each okay. year. Uh, we're currently in the process of developing a strategic plan, which I think will further um, make those targets more aggressive. Ah, okay. And so people might be thinking that there's some aspect of what the Belmont Light does in terms of climate action goals and that sort of thing. Is that sort of what you're talking about? Exactly. So uh, to, to take that picture out and zoom out a little bit further, okay. the climate action plan, climate action goals are more than just electricity in the electrical right. sector. Really the only energy mechanism to be 100% non-emitting um, from carbon emissions is electricity because you have solar options, you have okay. wind options. And so really what we're trying to do is transition Belmont Light to be the foundation for energy. And then folks can then adopt electric equivalents of transportation. You see EVs, oh, okay. heating, right. and appliances. And so as we adopt um, those electrical technologies with Belmont Light as the foundation, that's how we'll I meet see. our broader climate goals. Uh, because okay. the electric, you know, portion of uh, climate emissions, uh, you know, is a, is a smaller percentage than, say, transportation and heating. Mm -hmm. uh, but we have to create that foundation for folks to have an energy source that's non-emitting. And then we get everyone converted over to that energy. So w is there, and I realize you might not have the answer to the question, but a plan to have <clears throat> Belmont Light oversee or build charging stations for electric ah, cars. Absolutely. Okay. So we have uh, a few stations in Claflin. We have one in our office. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, there's one at the water department. Mm -hmm. um, and then we encourage, uh, like Cushing uh, Square, Yep. we encourage new developments to incorporate EVs. But certainly moving forward, um, we have several locations on our radar that mm -hmm. we think would be good for charging stations. Now, is that something that could be, I mean, I'm just asking without any knowledge about this. <laughs> sure. Is that something that is also a public-private partnership possibility? Like, can you work with a third-party vendor to build a charging station? Or is that really not, that doesn't work that way? That doesn't, because the, the costs and management are minimal. Okay. I, I shouldn't right. say minimal. Okay. I mean, a, a charging station installation is typically around 10,000. Okay. But, you know, so we're not talking millions. All like right. A so solar. it's just a matter of putting one in and electricity is coming from Belmont Light. E exactly. Okay. Um, so we're seeing more of that development, or at least you're thinking more about that and trying to get other private businesses to think about that as well. E exactly. The, in that way, we can, the more accessible uh, the infrastructure is, you know, the more likely folks will convert to mm. electric transportation. Great. Anything else you want to add in terms of what you're thinking about at Belmont Light overall plan? Uh, I just think uh, it's important to stay tuned, you know, to support a lot of this electrification. Not only is it uh, power supply that we're looking to, you know, uh, 
move forward, but it's also our rebate offerings. So we realize a lot of this is helping the community manage their energy and also uh, be able to access the technologies that are going to help us accomplish our goals. And so our ability is to act as an advisor for those resources, provide the rebates and incentives to help mm -hmm. folks adopt these technologies and then have our general power supply strategy serve as the base layer. Okay, great. Well, we'll stay tuned and we hope you'll come back when we get a, a little bit further down the road on the, what happens to the former incinerator site and uh, bring some benefit to Belmont residents. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on this special edition of Belmont Journal and we'll see you again next time.